0: Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun, and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists, and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy, and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome, and we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all, because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it, and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast. And today is one that I have been waiting for for as long as I can remember. Now, I get excited every single time we do a new episode, but today is the first of the Open House sex and intimacy episodes, and I cannot tell you how revolutionary these discussions are going to be. Today, I've got Massimo Fontana with me, and from the moment that I found his Instagram page, I was like, this man is incredible. So today, we are going to be discussing why do we live in a society that glorifies these big dicks, but teaches women to be so ashamed of their beautiful pussies. So mom and dad, if you're listening... Maybe duck out because I think that these sex episodes might not be the ones for you. Although actually that being said, me and my mum have a pretty healthy relationship talking about sex, talking about her sex life, which I'm sure we will get into at some point later in our episodes together. But without further ado, hi Massimo, I would love it if you could give a little introduction on who you are and what you do.
1: Louise, thank you for the beautiful introduction already. I am. Massimo Fontana. Uh, I'm an accredited sexologist, certified sex coach, amongst other many other wonderful things as well, probably too long to list. And for me, my life's purpose is really helping individuals and couples understand how they can facilitate each other's freedom within a relationship. One of the parts of this purpose is helping people realize what their sexual self image is, equally their self image. And I find a lot of people haven't stepped into that space and really solidified what that sexual self-image looks like. So that's something that's very dear to me. And I try and do that with everyone I speak to.
0: Mm, I have no doubt you do that and so much more. And I think that when we started planning these podcast episodes together, we were just overwhelmed by the number of things that we needed to talk about, we wanted to talk about. And yeah, we're going to do so many beautiful things together. And I think that, Today, we are going to start with the fundamentals, the way that so many of us have not been taught to lean into this sexual self. Now, this is something that I feel really, really passionate about. So for anyone listening, there's going to be lots of openness and transparency in these sessions. So you're going to have to get used to the word pussy and penis and vulva and dildo and everything in between. There is nothing that's going to be Restrained about these episodes. And I think that one of the reasons for that is, is that I feel, I want to say blessed, but I don't think blessed is the right word because I think it has been through proactive nurturing and also the men that I have been with in my life. But I feel lucky enough that I have got to explore my sexuality and find my sexual self with partners that have been incredibly non-judgmental, incredibly adoring and worshipping and sexually open and communicative. We're going to get into all of that and more later on in the episode. But I think that this has brought me to a point in my life as a 33-year-old woman, which don't get me wrong, I never experienced this probably before my 30s, that I now have such a healthy and passionate relationship with myself as well as with my partner and partners, I guess, from years gone by. And so for me, this communication piece and having these discussions is really normal for me. It's not abnormal that a friend will call me at 2 p.m. on a Friday and I'll be like, oh, sorry, I didn't get back to you. I was just testing out a new vibrator that Laylo had sent me. I have these open discussions with my friends. And I think that that's where we want to go with these episodes. And I think the perfect starting point is that a lot of women and also men don't potentially have that connection to self and connection with their partner. And that became very, very clear to me when over the last year or two, I've met a number of incredible women who were deep distressed or even just took a general disliking to their vulva or their pussy. And they would say to me, I really don't like it. And I'm thinking about getting labioplasty or surgery. The first thing that I felt about that was Sadness that we've got to a point in today's society where people are considering doing things like that because of deep-rooted feelings that they hold towards a beautiful part of their body. So I think my first question for you is: I understand that with this increase in designer vaginas and it's going viral on TikTok, where does this belief come from that our pussies and our vulvas should look a certain way or should be that perfect.
1: I think it's an amazing question. The first thing that comes to mind for me is mobile phones. Relate that to how much pornography usage. It's insane amounts. So basically what you're doing is you're walking around with 100% access at 100% of the time to any form of pornography that you're wanting. Now, if you're looking at the three sensory conditions, if I can call it that, namely being visual, kinesthetic and auditory. Most of us are conditioning ourselves into the visual space. We're sitting in front of our computers. We are always looking at something rather than experiencing something in the body. In that space, it's always going to trigger some kind of anxious response. So going back to your question, conditioning ourselves into the visual space, you're naturally creating an anxiety for yourself when you're looking at images that are contrasting your vulva or your penis whether you like it or not, you have this in your face every single day, you can't really get away from this kind of visual stimulus because sex is everywhere. It's going to trigger some kind of anxious response.
0: Yeah, I feel like we all know that that has done that. But I feel like we sometimes don't understand how deeply pornography has done it to us. Because I truly believe that thanks to pornography, there is this belief that if you have a set of vulva lips that you can even see that you don't have a porn star pussy, right? And the second that you don't have a porn star pussy in your head or for so many people, it's like, oh, well, there's something wrong with it. Like it could be different. It could be better. It could be cuter. And the reality is, is that that is not how things work. And I think that we then start to harbor so much shame. And actually, I can't believe I'm about to share this on this podcast recording, but I feel like at some point, as you start to develop into a woman, your vulva is going to develop. And I remember that I had this sort of almost like the first time that I ever realized I had a vulva. And I put my hands sort of down there or I looked at it and I felt it. And I remember actively being shocked. Oh my goodness, there's something there. And that feels like such a weird thing to say because of course there's something there. And I guess this ties perfectly into the question that I want to ask you around, how this develops in childhood because it feels like little boys they always have their willies out they're always like throwing them around for fun or they're weeing or they're going like and everyone's laughing but it feels like the second that a young girl takes her clothes off it's like oh my god you have to put your pants on you have to put your swimming costume on so i just wanted to ask whether you think that this actually goes back like many days months years and decades before we even get to adults that are watching pornography
1: a hundred percent. Absolutely. I think it's, it's it's going to be found in every single culture dating back hundreds and hundreds of years. You're very correct about saying before that men grow up with their penises in their hands, right? So it's always visual. It's always contact. When a lady goes to the bathroom, very seldom does she look down at her vulva or her pussy, for that matter. She knows what to do. She knows how to wipe. She knows how to take care of her, we hope. And there's this interesting sort of movement now where men will sit down and weep. And you're very correct about saying before that men grow up with their penises in their hands, right? But any man who's listening to this and who has sat down and had a wee will know that it's incredibly comfortable doing something like that. But if you condition that, it's probably the last time you've seen your penis. The
0: reason that I'm making this facial expression is because with my ex-boyfriend, I remember the very first time that I walked in on him in the bathroom. It was like, by mistake, I thought he was in the shower. He was sat down at the toilet and I was like, oh my God, I just walked in on him doing a poo. And he was like, oh, no, I'm doing a wee. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Like, I didn't even, like, I just never even, I didn't even know that you could do a wee sitting down. I mean, of course, you can just put your wheelie through your legs and I guess wee, but what what is that? Is it like a comfort thing? Like, what's going on? There? Uh, absolutely.
1: Uh, absolutely it's a comfort thing. I, I think many men will per- probably perceive this as an emasculation of men being that the feminine has come into our lives and said to us, no one likes to clean up splashback, right? True. Whereas... I don't see that it has to be something about emasculation. There's a greater degree of comfort and time that you actually spend with yourself. Nothing is rushed. So I think that there's a lot of these interesting analogies that come up. But going back to your question, this, this is something that in many respects, I think we can blame a lot on religion. When the church really started stepping in and making this rule of men need to be married to a woman and sex happens within the home and it's about procreation, It makes a lot of sense during the time that this was happening because by being able to control couples and saying, we're managing their sex, it reduces any potential risk of disease. The pox at that particular time in the Victorian era, everybody was shagging everybody. So it, it was something that was about managing that and keeping that within the home. That I think has become so deeply ingrained in us that On top of that, adding all these different ideologies of sex is dirty, masturbation is dirty, being able to do all these different things that actually lead to sexual expression, of course is going to be sedimented in our DNA more than anything else. So where I stand at the moment, it's really a question for people saying to them, okay, there may be this historical component that comes into our lives, but it doesn't mean that we have to adopt that historical component. We are also in a very, very luxurious position to actually amend anything that doesn't suit us and our sexuality.
0: I love what you said there, almost referencing like our genetics, that this goes so deep that these beliefs are almost turning into like intergenerational conditioning. And I do feel like it is our generation or the generation below us's responsibility to break these cycles of conditioning, which when you do look into it, like you just said, came from so far back that we're still living with today. And I think that also on the smallest and most minute level, we don't as a society refer to our genitalia with the correct terminology, right? So many women still refer to their vulva as their vagina, even though we know that the vagina is the inside part and the vulva and the labia on the outside. And I found this with my ex-boyfriend who he was incredibly well read and he would refer to my period as like even when I say this, it still cringes me out, which shows my conditioning. But he would refer to my period as like my menzies, And I was like, that is, I was like, that is disgusting. And the reason I'm laughing is because it's not, it's not disgusting at all. That is just my conditioning. that I have been conditioned to think that the word vulva or the word menzies is a gross, uncomfortable word. But the truth is that since going on this journey, since working with people like you, since just getting to know my own body more and being this more open-minded, well-read person, I would now never refer to my pussy as my vagina because it's not my vagina. But I still sometimes sort of slip up from time to time. And I think that that's one of the conditionings that we have to break down. And I think that, Another conditioning that we need to break down, which you've already referenced there, which is that throughout over time, sex was as a form of procreation rather than a form of pleasure. Now, I want to get into here the concept of worship and adoration of the masculine into the feminine, because it also ties us back to the beginning of the episode, which is these beautiful women who are walking around not experiencing their truest sexual selves, are not being intimate with men or women, are not letting men or women go down on them, and being restricted to having sex, maybe in the dark, maybe when they're drunk, definitely not being super intimate. So I really want to get into that with you. And I guess my intro into this section of the podcast is that I want to say I love my pussy and I'm going to keep this part of the podcast in because I think it's really, really interesting to see that despite how much work I've done, I still, I'm like, do I love it? Do I love it? And I do have a very positive experience with it. But the reason for that is because I have never had a negative experience around my vulva. I've never had someone say to me, all the things that we hear about when we're much, much younger, with very emotionally immature men or women, and they say something, that can scar you for life. Now, I've never ever had anything like that happen to me. But the reason that I think I have such a positive connection with it now is that my last two boyfriends have been, I guess, deep in their healthy masculine in the bedroom and have adored me as a human being and have worshipped me in the bedroom, but also Directly worshipped my pussy. They would talk to it. They would literally say, she's so beautiful. I love these moments with her. I'm so grateful that you share her with me. Things that no one would ever say to me in my twenties. Like my current boyfriend thanks me for sharing my body and my intimacy with him. And I'm actually getting like hot talking about it because it feels like it's so deeply intimate and He thanks me for sharing these moments with him, for sharing my body with him and for sharing my pussy with him. So I wanted to get into a bit of that with you because I feel like if I had been shamed at some point in my life, I might have a totally different relationship with my vulva and I might understand more about why some women want to have surgery, et cetera, et cetera. I would love to get into a bit around how worship and adoration from a partner can either rebuild a slightly wobbly relationship with our genitals or how it can actually set the foundations in the first place for the relationship that we have with our genitals.
1: I think it's such a a beautiful introduction into the space. And I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is this idea of self-narrative. And if we have stepped into our sexuality with a very healthy narrative, it really doesn't matter if we are shamed, because we have a trust in ourselves and a connection with ourselves that far supersedes whatever someone else is saying. So that's step one. But if we're speaking into the space where a lot of men and women have been shamed because their self-image and their sexual self-image is is lacking, for a better word, then it really steers them into a space of, of humiliation. That's really the feeling that they're feeling there. And when someone steps into a space of humiliation, they really want to extract themselves. So they don't want to step back into that space again. So correctly, like you were saying before about a lot of men and women will use alcohol or drugs or whatever it is to sort of dissociate themselves from that sexual experience and maintain that disconnect. That I think once again, feeds into people who have not actually dealt with the underlying sexual narrative. Mm -hmm. And Something that was really, really curious for me when you were talking was how, and firstly, I'm very grateful that these men have glorified you because these are the men that are going to change the the landscape of, of what we're talking about. The personification of her, as an example, and when you were talking before and saying it, you can still see that there there is some kind of disconnect with that. Whereas I love the idea of personifying myself, him, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, my partner, her pussy. It's, it, it's it's very much about a sense of ownership. And I think what you're also flagging up here is, is that a lot of men have never been taught how to actually adore the feminine. Mm. I think most men will carry some form of mother wound and they, they haven't really stepped into that space to actually heal that. A lot of men will work on the darker stuff. They'll deal with their, their father wound because that's, I guess, the first person that really helps us sort of navigate life. But the mother wound is something that we don't really step into because in many respects, the image of the feminine is still sacred. So part of us as men can't criticize that. Whereas I think there's still something very important about stepping into that space and and really looking at why we can't adore our partner, why we can't bring ourselves fully into that experience. And I'll show you how simple the switch is with this in terms of mindset. If you... We're on a plane that crash landed on a deserted island. What are the first things that you would do? You're the only survivor.
0: Okay, I'm guessing the answer is like not masturbate, right? Because I'm like, I'm like, we're doing a sex podcast. So like, there's got to be like a sexual answer to this. I guess that uh, the first thing I would do is see if anyone else survived.
1: Okay, so you'd naturally go into survival mode. you look for water, you look for shelter, you look for all the basics, right? I can guarantee you self-image doesn't come into the equation until much, much, much later, if anything. That's number one. So automatically, your self-image of your vulva, your pussy, your penis, your cock makes no difference. Mm. Now let's change it up. You and your partner are the sole survivors on that island. What's going to happen in that relationship?
0: (laughs) I'm not really sure what the answer to this is, but I guess you... Well, wouldn't you still be in, like, survival mode? And when you're in survival mode, you don't really want to be fucking all the time? Or is that the wrong answer to the question?
1: This is where I think it's very interesting. Yes, I think survival mode will will always be there up until a, a status quo has been reached or some kind of harmony has been reached. But then it's going to come to the point where sex absolutely is going to be on the cards. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to be about the connection. Your lovemaking becomes something completely different. It's about being with the other there is a desperation to escape towards each other all the time, rather than away from each other. It's about the connection. Mm. And if we're bringing in body image or in body dysphoria, that's not going to come into the equation at all. Because your pussy, your vagina, your vulva is going to be what she is. And your penis, your cock is going to be what he is. But it's going to be about the connection. And that's where I think if we move away from that visual and really step into more of a kinesthetic space, a felt space, it changes the whole script.
0: That's fascinating because I think you are almost talking about having a space of safety there to share this experience with another. And that for me is also something that I deeply relate to and resonate with. And I'm sure we will talk about it in another episode around why I am... very conscious about who I share my physical and energetic body with. That's probably part of the reason why I have had such positive experiences, because by the time we are in the bedroom together, there is a deep respect and adoration for the other person already, as well as an excitement to share in each other's bodies and intimate experiences. And I think that is really important because that's one of the things that I said to this girl that wanted to get this labiaplasty, And I was talking to her about how if she was to build a safe space with someone, she would see how beautiful her labia was, whatever it looks like. And don't get me wrong, I understand that there are clinical and medical reasons sometimes why surgery is justified. So we're not saying that every single person ever just needs to accept their vulva, like that is not the case. But I think in today's episode, we're exploring how you can learn to love her more and just to clarify were you saying that it was good it's good to call her her or was that like a was that a disconnect or was that like a connection
1: for me I think it's something about ownership I speak about my partner's vulva as a her I personify because she is something very important to me her well-being is something very important to me and so that personification I think is a way that I perceive it almost a term of endearment
0: I agree with you totally. I think the personification is really important too, because sometimes I think as a society, we get very uncomfortable with using the words like vulva, vagina, cock, penis. I feel that because of our conditioning, we still find that difficult to say. I don't so much, but what I do find is a lot easier is to say like, I love him. Like I want him in my mouth or, and my partner will also say like, give her to me, the personification through him and her. And I feel like for anyone listening to this that maybe is interested in working on their connection to self and connection with their partner, I think that that is maybe like a mid-tier step to ease you into this communication rather than having to say the slightly more uncomfortable words. Because it, it doesn't feel sexy to say, touch my vulva. That is just not something that I say, but I'm also fully aware that that comes from the conditioning that, that we have. And I think it's also so interesting how we feel like we have to say pussy because it's like the sexy, like dirty porn star word. And so I think it's really interesting to just reflect back and think, what words do I use when I'm being intimate? Or on the flip side, do I use any words at all? Now I can see you're laughing. So I'm going to hand over to you and see if you guys might say, and then I want to come back and jump onto something else.
1: I'm smiling because the word that I use is orchidia. Orchidia in Spanish means orchid. Now, Everybody loves an orchid. I've never met anyone that says to me that they don't like an orchid. So the way that I kind of see that is, is that an orchid always reminds me of a pussy. And the beauty behind that is not so much on the visual side, because all of them are completely different. Every single one that exists is perfect in its own, in its own right. But there's a complexity to, to an orchid. And I think this is always representative of what a woman's vagina really is or a vulva is because there is a complexity there and it does need a different kind of knowingness and relationship with that. So whenever I call my partners uh, or Orquídia, because she's Spanish, it's it always kind of brings a different flavor into it and it's a different kind of respect because I know what it takes to step into that space and really respect a vulva. And this is what I hope that a lot of men listening to this will will actually start seeing that the moment you do respect your partner's vulva, pussy, orchidia, whatever you want to call her, all of a sudden she's naturally going to open herself up to want to receive you better.
0: I love that. and um, That is so sexy and foreign. I feel like this is why I love a foreign man. Everything is sexier when you have an accent because I feel like British people, I just don't name the word. I can't even say it. Orchid? how do you say it?
1: So in Italian, orchidea. Yeah. In, in Spanish, Orchidia.
0: Yeah, I love it. It's so sexy. I think us Brits need to sort of learn a thing or two from you. I love what you said about how every orchid is different because that is exactly the same as every vulva and penis. And I think let's just also get into penises a bit now. I mean, I'm so happy that this is my life, that at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon, I'm just sat here talking about penises. It's so fun. And I'm so grateful that you're holding this space with me. But I also want to talk about there is a lot of shame around the vulva and the pussy. There's not a lot of glorification unless you have a deeply healthy relationship with yourself and your partner, at which point there should be glorification in the bedroom. And we're going to get into, at the end of the episode, how to nurture and to develop that self-worship and glorification as well as partner glorification. But I'd also love to get into a little bit of cock because... I think that, again, it's the same with men. We glorify the penis. We glorify these big penises. As soon as someone starts sleeping with someone, what's a dick like? How is the sex? And I feel like we overlook the fact that men also hold shame around their penis. And you hear people saying, oh, he's got a tiny penis or blah, blah, blah. So... I would love to just talk a little bit around, has that also come from pornography? Because I remember back in the ceramic statue era, whatever era that was, where big penises were thought to be really ugly and small dainty penises were thought to be like chic and nice. So what's going on there with the glorification of the big dick versus like the shaming of the small willy?
1: I think society has become so polarized. And if you're looking at masculinity, it's now this sort of debate of a feminine man versus a masculine man. And the way that I approach sex therapy and what we're talking about today is really about balance and harmonizing. And I have a very simple question. You can ask this question to any man and any woman and say to them, would you rather have a penis that works like a charm every single time or would you prefer to have a massive penis that is unpredictable and most of the time it's going to be provoking more anxiety in you and actual true confidence? And you'll probably see that most people will steer to, well, actually, I want something that's working for me because I don't want to go through the experience of needing to have those discussions and stopping midway while we're having sex and all the different things that come from that. What would you prefer?
0: Um, right. Well, I feel like I was, oh God, I really hope my dad's not listening to this. I feel like I had this like long run. I mean, I say long run as if I'm like ever intimate with anyone. Like long run over the past five years when I was intimate with people where I had some really good dick. And I was like, wow, I have got some good karma here in life because I am getting some really good dick. It wasn't too big. wasn't too small. It was just like, it was good, right? And then I met this guy who had the biggest penis I have ever seen touched or felt in my whole entire life. It was honestly like two Coke cans. Like it was honestly so big. Now we never actually, we never actually slept together, but we were intimate. And during some of the intimate chats that we had, he said to me, This penis causes me so much shame and so much inconvenience. And when he was a young kid, his dad walked in once and saw it, I guess, and was like, oh my God, like cover that up. And from that moment on, he would never ever sleep naked because that trauma of the shame from his father shaming him around the size of it really stuck with him. He then went on to say that he also basically couldn't keep a long term relationship because sometimes you just want to make love and it's so big that you can't. So I do agree that too big is problematic. So I personally just love like a good sized penis. But I'm going to say that when I was at university, I hooked up with a couple of times with a guy that had the smallest penis that I've ever been with. Now, we also never had sex. Not sure. Well, we should probably get into another episode around why I have this recurrent pattern of being intimate with people, but never actually physically having sex because there's definitely a lot of trauma related stuff around that. But That's not my point for this story. My point for this story is that he was so skilled with everything else that he did that I was obsessed with this man. I mean, I had never experienced a man going down on me in the way that he did. I honestly would come in like 30 seconds, just like I would hope that if I had like a vulva that I wasn't happy with, that they wouldn't shame me for that either. And I also think that there are so many ways that you can explore and experiment with toys and dildos and strap-ons and all these different things that I would like to think I could navigate around that. So yeah, I like to think that I'm at a non-judgmental point in my life where whatever you're working with, I will work with too. But I guess that my summary for that is that I think we sometimes overlook maybe how men get shamed too or maybe we don't maybe actually men get shamed for small penises and women get shamed for big vulvas.
1: Louise honestly speaking I think men shame themselves most of the time because we're so focused on performance and I guess the way that we kind of see our I like the word cock is basically if it's erect it means pleasure if it's flaccid it doesn't mean pleasure at all Whereas the reality is that with the right stimulation, you can actually ejaculate without having an erection. So the question is that how does a man actually connect with their own sex so that it's not about performance, but it's about being with the other? Because your ex basically followed Massimo's rule of three, that if I can't do it with my fingers, I'll do it with my tongue. And if I can't do it with my tongue, I'll do it with my penis. But there will be a way that I will do it. And this is the thing that I think also a lot of society is moving away from because when Masters and Johnson brought in the orgasm curve where they were showing the real difference in, in timing that it takes a woman to reach orgasm versus a man, foreplay was at the forefront of everyone's mind. It was like foreplay has to be the thing that helps align those two graphs so that there is more symmetry and harmony and balance between that sexual moment, right? Right whereas everything now is about big penis, beautiful vagina and it's just about penetration and if you're looking at all the mainstream porn everything is steering towards female ejaculation rather than actual true orgasmic enjoyment in that moment and this is one of the things that i find with with a lot of the people that i work with that foreplay is often forgotten about and my question always is well, does foreplay have to be a question of going down on your partner or is foreplay happening all the time?
0: Well, I can certainly say that foreplay is not neglected in my life. Huge, huge fan of foreplay. I just think that it is the foundation of everything that we do. Um, and there's just so many things you said there that I really, I would love to talk about today. I know we don't have the time, so we are going to have to hop on again and talk about them because you're right, there is just this huge huge thing that if your partner loses his erection, it's like the end of the world. And this is something that I've experienced before. The second that someone loses their erection, it's all about me. i have stood in the shower afterwards. I feel like, oh my God, what did I do? Is it me? Was I not sexy enough? All that conditioning comes back in. But just as we move into the final section of today's episode, I think that I'd love it if we could get into some more like actionable tips and tricks around what we can do to One, connect with our own vulva or penis to start building a loving connection with self. And two, how we can start to build a more loving, respectful and adoring connection with our partner, potentially helping how we can help our partner move into a space of devotion and adoration, respect and worship in the bedroom. So I think let's first of all start with the vulva and the penis and i think from my experience i mean you're the you're the sex therapist you're the sexologist you're going to know everything about this and more but for me i think that connection is like the first place to start and for me sometimes also i mean we'll go into this in another episode too i have a lot of chronic pain in my body in my pelvis so it's a different situation for me but that aside Sometimes I will just hold my pussy with my hand and I'll talk to her and I'll say, thank you for everything you do for me. And also, I am so sorry for some of the things that I have put you through. The men that I have allowed to touch you or to be inside of you that did not deserve, and I mean, I feel like I'm going to cry talking about this, that did not deserve to touch you. The times that I let men penetrate me when I wasn't ready for it. And it's like a, I'm going to grit my teeth and push me through mentality. But they're the two places that I started. And sometimes just masturbation with like a beautiful intimate oil or, you know, really just taking the time to touch her and talk to her. But as a sex therapist, where would you start in terms of someone listening to this saying, yeah, I actually don't love my pussy and I want to change this. Where should I start?
1: Louise, you're doing my job today. Mirror work is something spectacular, but what I would add to mirror work as a starting point, what I find if I say to a lot of clients, get a little face mirror, start looking at your vulva, there's always some kind of defensiveness there. So it's first trying to disarm what that defensiveness is about, helping them understand what the narrative is that's actually bringing them to the space in the first place. Once... So, Sort of taking a bit of a step back there, the way that I would approach it first is strip down, look at yourself in a full-length mirror, and what I want you to try and focus on is what is the story that your body is carrying? Try and really spend time there and actually look at what do your shoulders do? What do your breasts do? What does your penis do? How has your body shaped itself to deal with the trauma and difficulties that you've experienced in life? As an example, I have very broad shoulders but probably an underdeveloped chest in comparison to my back muscles. So when I train, my back gets massive, and it's almost like an armor protecting myself. And if I look at my trauma, my body was responding to those events, and basically, especially on my left-hand side, it's almost like I was shielding myself from whatever was happening in my world. And you'll find that the moment we spend a little bit of time in actually looking at these nuances in the body we're recalibrating a different kind of relationship with the body as a whole. Mm. From there, I would move into becoming more focused in that particular area. And if you can't really still step into that space because there is that defensiveness there, take the visual away. Yeah, Completely remove the visual. And if you're doing it with a couple, blindfold each other. So you're introducing a different kind of sensation in that space. And what I loved what you were saying before is about, about the glorification of yourself and I don't want to say being apologetic for the things that you did, but honoring yourself for the things that didn't feel right. Mm. You're changing that narrative again. And what I would urge any man in a couple to do is exactly that with their partner's vulva. Actually take the time there and re-narrate the story that you have with your partner's pussy. Same thing goes with menstruation. Same thing goes with all the different stages and phases that – a goes through. I mean, it's it's magnificent what you have.
0: You're right. I think that jumping in with the mirror work can sometimes be a lot because I still have days when even when I am naked out of the shower, like I'll just look in the mirror at my body and I won't think like, I love you. Thank you. So if you don't feel like that about your whole body, it's pretty hard to jump in at like, oh, I love my pussy. You're so beautiful. So I love that advice about just taking it back and starting small, like Even if it's just like a five second, just like high, like looking in the mirror, taking that moment and then getting on with the day and maybe over time, like extending that. And I love what you said about the If the thought of looking in a mirror gives you the absolute shudders, you're like, there is no way I can do that. I love the idea of just taking the visual away, like you said, and just potentially with self-pleasure instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to self-pleasure for the end goal of orgasm. It's going to be like, For the first five minutes, I'm just going to hold her or see how this feels if I do this. So if someone wanted to have this conversation tonight with their partner, where would they start? I want to know about how this should be brought up in a relationship. And I also want to know if you don't feel comfortable with your vulva, with your penis, is it something that you should communicate with someone you're dating? Or is it something that should come later down the line? It's a bit of a waffly question, but... I think my question is, how do you start these conversations? Do you sit them down and say, I listened to this podcast today talking about how so many of us actually don't love and accept, you know, our vulvas. And I've realized that I actually have maybe a a more complicated relationship with my pussy, my vulva, than I initially thought. And I'd like to work with you to develop a, a more nurturing, adoring. Relationship with it, and I think that you are a huge part of that. Like, is that a conversation that you could start with?
1: I think it's a beautiful conversation to be had, but I think it's always trying to differentiate between a person, let's call it dating, so you don't have a solid partner yet, versus someone who's in a relationship. And I think the first thing that I would aim to disarm in any relationship, be it single or in a couple, is this feeling of emotional obliteration when. You pass comment or pass judgment or you pass observation on something. And the reason why I say this is that if we can know for sure that the intentionality of our partner is not to obliterate us, you become far more authentic in that relationship and in your communication style. So that's where I would probably start first is disarming that emotional blow. When most people want to approach this kind of conversation, they're terrified of the reaction. And that for me says, well, If you're worried about the reaction, what's that saying about safety in the relationship? What's that saying about trust in the relationship? So those are two concepts that I think need to just sort of be teased out. Now, if trust and safety are concepts that have not been brought up for yourself, with yourself or with your partner, you have to do it today. It's a have to. It's no longer, I will deal with this when it presents itself. Because if you're not feeling safe enough with yourself or the communication is not right, to actually hold that space for you in the sexual space, how are you ever going to allow your body to respond the way it naturally has to when you are going to be receiving them into your body? And if you have two people that can't communicate very well, let's call it face-to-face, right? Because they're worried about how it's going to escalate. They're not going to hear each other. The most amazing piece of advice that I can give is get a book that both of you are willing to read. Make it subject specifics, get both of you to read the book and discuss the book. So it becomes this inanimate object away from the relationship. So it's not about you both hammering each other, getting into some kind of debate where most people are afraid of debate, where I just think that tension is very healthy in a relationship, safe relationship. So if you're discussing that book, then you know, or at least you have a bit more of a reference point to get, step into something and actually tease out those conversations.
0: I love that. You're right. There's a lot of fragile egos in today's society. And I don't want to generalize this to the masculine or the feminine, but I definitely have been in relationships in the past where if I was to try and have this discussion, oh my goodness, totally wrong forum. Just he was such a bad, unsafe partner for me. And I'm thinking back to a very toxic boyfriend in my 20s. Whereas today I have such ultimate trust and safety in my relationship that I know that anything I want to talk about will be received with open arms and open minds and open open legs as well. And I don't think that that that's always the case. So I love the starting gently, starting with an inanimate discussion, whether that's like something that comes up in a TV program or an article that you read online or even something about designer vaginas. And I'll chat with Massimo after this episode around whether he has any book recommendations. We'll put them into the show notes as like examples and ideas that you can start with. It's about starting gently and starting slowly, just like with sex. It's not about sitting your partner down and saying like, I realize I hate my vagina. I've got all of this trauma. Sorry. I realize I hate my vulva. There we go. The slip up came because the conditioning is still there. I want to change this all overnight. It's not about that. It might just be around tonight when we are intimate or today or whatever. Maybe you could just spend five minutes just like exploring my pussy, talking to her and just adding on tiny little bits here and there. So I absolutely love that advice about starting slow before maybe going into the mirror work. And I also love that advice in in the partner work is start with an inanimate object conversation book article that you saw before putting it into practice. And I love what you said around like the blindfolds and people just think that sex is this act where it is only about the end goal. And some people might be listening to this being like, That is so weird that I'm just going to feel my partner's penis for five minutes without jerking it off, without giving a hand job, without giving a blow job, just being present with him and him being present with you and your pussy and just sort of being present in their, in their presence of like in the glory that they are. So I love, I love that advice. And I don't know before we wrap up, if you've got any final sort of, Tips, tricks, insights.
1: I, I do, and I think I think for me the word resensitizing is is something we all need to consider. And each and every single one of us has at some point experienced trauma. I don't think anyone that exists is trauma free. I think we can be very oblivious to it and sort of just park it and put it in the cupboard and never deal with it again. But the aim of what I try and do is, is that you're trying to resensitize your body so that you have an amazing relationship with yourself. And when you're in a couple trying to resensitize and harmonize one another, that's really the goal. It's where can you take this relationship to so that you are so highly attuned and harmonized with one another that that Masters and Johnson curve, as an example, goes completely out the window because you know exactly what to do to take your partner to that place. I think this is what I would probably call it as the art of seduction, really. It, it really is an art form to constantly want to know more, constantly want to step into that space, constantly wanting to help your partner become so expansive that, I don't know if I should say this, but ruin her for every other man that exists. And the same the other way, right? Ruin him for any other woman that exists so that you are constantly stepping towards each other.
0: I love that. I love that. I definitely have had a couple of boyfriends say that I've spoiled them for future partners because the way that I connected with them was like, not like anything they've ever experienced again. And that's not me blowing my own trumpet. I think that's just a sign that I've done a lot of work with myself and I've done a lot of work on being able to connect and be intimate. And it be about this like almost spiritual, energetic, physical connection rather than it just being, we're going to fuck. We're going to come and we're going to get on with our life. Um, so I love that. And we'll get into in another episode, how you can start to slowly nurture that relationship because. I know that you and I have spoken about massaging and oil work. Like for me, there is nothing sexier than telling my boyfriend or, or my boyfriend wanting to give me a massage, full body massage, but he is not allowed to touch my pussy, not allowed to go anywhere near my vulva, but he can go close to it and around it. I mean, it is revolutionary. <laughs> I can see you on. he
1: Here's a challenge for the next discussion. Being the man that gives you that pleasure without expecting pleasure back and holding that space for your partner is naturally going to place you in a position to desire them more.
0: Yeah. This is, this ties into exactly what I've experienced with my two exes is the two that worshipped me and adored me. It was always about my pleasure. Like they, of course, were interested if I wanted to give to them, but they wanted to give to me so much that it was always like my pleasure took a priority. And I have to say that I think that's part of the reason why we have such an incredibly healthy or do right now have such an incredibly healthy sex life because they give me everything and it makes me desperately want to give it back to them in the same way that they've given it to me. So I think that's a perfect, a perfect place to end this is that by connecting with ourselves and connecting with each other, we can build sexual connections and deep intimate relationships where it is so much more than just about penetration and having an orgasm. But by doing all of that, you have the best orgasms that you could ever have. It's like a win-win for everyone.
1: Correct, Absolutely agree.
0: Amazing. Well, it's time to wrap up, sadly, because we could keep going for a very long time. But most of all, I just want to say thank you. I've never had a discussion like this on the podcast, and it's something that I've wanted to do for such a long time. You are the perfect person for me to have this discussion with, and the work that you do is invaluable so we will link all of your contact details how people can contact you how they can follow you into the show notes and please go and do that because you will learn so much from Massimo and the incredible content that he puts out and we will also be back on the podcast very very soon because I think what has come out today is that there is so much that needs to be discussed by the world and you and I are going to be the ones to to pioneer that so thank you from the bottom of my heart deeply deeply grateful and i will
1: see you next episode louise honestly thank you from the bottom of my heart for me it's it's an absolute privilege being here and sharing the space with you and i just hope that whoever's listening can just take one nugget away and apply it and that one nugget is going to manifest into something beautiful
0: i love that thank you so much hi friends Did you love the episode? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I always enjoy recording them. If you took value from this episode, I would really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast, leaving a review on Apple or Spotify, as well as tagging us on social media at The Open House Podcast. Supporting us in this way helps the podcast to move up the charts, as well as most importantly, reaching more people who are in need but can't access traditional therapy thank you a million times over for always supporting this podcast and going on this journey with me and other than that this is your final reminder that you can find me here on the open house podcast every monday until then remember there is nothing sexier than self-awareness and together we are going to make mental health great again